Doesn't throw the podcast off at all. Um, there's no weird mix of emotions in the room at all now. It's totally normal. Is this kind of fintech slash psychology? Yeah. Can I we, feel, like, yeah, I feel like I need to get other things out right now. Too. Welcome to For Fintech's Sake, hosted by Zach Anderson Pettit. Zach is managing director of an accelerator called Fountain City Fintech and VP at MBKC Bank. For Fintech's Sake is a broad look at the world of fintech. Building the future of financial services requires deep understanding of both technology and finance. From the perspectives of founders, investors, and incumbents, we will explore the stories of people living at the intersection of finance and technology. All opinions expressed by Zach and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect those of MBKC Bank. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Welcome back to a special episode of For Fintech's Sake. I'm your host, Zach Anderson Pettit. This week, as you probably know, is a special one. It's the last week of Fountain City Fintech before Demo Day on October 15th. Actually, it's the last weekend. If you listen to the past couple episodes, then you know that today is the fourth of five deal flow episodes, giving you a chance to meet the founders before they pitch on Tuesday. Today, you'll get to meet Tim Yu, CEO of Pluto Money. Pluto is building the ultimate financial membership for Gen Z. Why Gen Z? Tim will explain in the interview. Don't you worry. And as you're probably starting to get used to, the occasional quip and the occasional Mark Twain quote from our CEO at MBKC, Brian Unruh, he'll be sitting in again, poking, prodding, and just tossing in his two cents. So with that, I hope you enjoy another episode of For Fintech's Sake. My background uh, is a musician, right? I grew up playing violin since the age of four. I thought my career was going to be a world-class violinist. I'm going to perform in some of the greatest concert halls for a living and get paid doing it, be on billboards, all that stuff. Um, so I practiced, spent a lot of my time practicing violin. Um, I grew up in Silicon Valley, and so my father was the classic immigrant story. He came to America with a few dollars in his pockets and started a company in Silicon Valley and did well, you know, before the whole economy crashed in the early 2000s. Um, but around, but growing up in Silicon Valley, I never really thought about technology too much. I kind of took it for granted. You know, I didn't realize I lived right next to Apple computers for most of my life until Steve Jobs passed away. So that was the kind of existence that I had, just very, very music oriented, um, and. When I got to college, I ended up deciding to to kind of start exploring other fields, um, not just music because I've been doing music for my entire life and mm-hmm. it was my passion. I wasn't sure if I wanted to do that for a living and have to suffer through all that stress and all of that. And so originally I went to UCLA for a, go to music school uh, for violin performance and also to become a pre-med, uh, to study pre-med and become a sports medicine doctor for the Lakers. That was my dream. Mm-hmm. But I came across this field called cognitive science uh, during my sophomore year. And that was also around the time that I discovered an organization called Sigma Eta Pi, um, co-ed entrepreneurship fraternity at UCLA. And what really drew me, drew my attention to those two things was that number one, um, the study of cognitive science is very interdisciplinary. You know, it's a combination of you know, psychology, computer science, um, linguistics, neuros- neuroscience. I don't know if I just repeated what I said, but a whole bunch of different fields. Yeah. And I thought it was fascinating because I have had, I've always had interest in psychology and just how people think and how people feel and all yeah. of those things. And so it was really cool to see a field for that and how flexible it was, how you could choose the courses that you could take. And then the entrepreneurship fraternity, I've never seen a group of people so diverse. You know, prior to that, I was hanging out with 
my pre-med friends and all of that, people taking the same chemistry classes, all, you know, it just kind of got a little boring. Um, and I wanted to spice things up in terms of my network and to learn from other people and see what else is out there. And so joining Sigma Eta Pi started stoking that entrepreneurial flame in me that I, I did ha show signs of it back in high school. I did, you know, some entrepreneurial things, but it didn't really become you know, reality until yeah. really when I got to college. Yeah. And so you combine those two things together is kind of what led to Pluto. That's where I met Susie Kim, my co-founder, chief experience officer. Um, she was part of the same fraternity. Um, and I was also really interested in cognitive science or studying that. And so we both experienced money problems for, for our own personal reasons. For me, I spent all my paychecks as an intern at Expedia. And that was my first time living outside of California, living in a different city. And I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't save a single cent. I saved more money in high school than I did in college. Mm -hmm. um, and so I w was like, why is that? Well, because I didn't know anything. There was nothing, no solutions out there that was trying to educate me. The college system wasn't designed to educate me around my finances. And so that was a big problem. And Susie, she dropped out of you know, six, seven different colleges before UCLA for financial reasons. You know, she has a much crazier story than I do. But at UCLA, she had to give up on her dream study abroad program because she also similarly didn't know what she was doing with her finances and kind of panicked, you know, didn't have a savings account or credit card. And so we tried a lot of existing solutions like Mint that everybody knows and other ones that were coming around that time and realized none of them were designed to, to serve college students and financial novices and to make managing finances approachable. And to, there's too much focus on people already in the workforce, people that are already in a ton of debt and how do you save those people, right? But what about preventing people from making the mistakes to begin with? Wouldn't the world be a much better place? Wouldn't it be a, you know, wouldn't people be in a much better economic condition if they knew what to do with their finances much earlier on? And so that was the inspiration for Pluto and that's why we started it. So it sounds like education is a really big piece of this. Yeah, I'd say like, you know, awareness is the first piece, right? Like you yeah. need to know what's going on and, you know, you need, you need to understand how important finances is outside of just the struggles that you have, like understand how it can um, help you reach your potential and yeah. help you do what you want to do. Yeah. If you don't understand that, then you're basically doing nothing about it. You're just suffering and not understanding what you can do about it, yeah. right? But I think education is not really the end result though. That's just part of the process. I don't want to throw off the interview, but so I'm listening to the founders talk about uh, doing charitable work in Africa and world-class violinist and education, all of these things. And yeah. I'm just sitting over here thinking I barely made it through college and then moved to Arizona <laughs> and started selling golf clubs. So it feels just a little bit embarrassing as I think about my past when I get to sit here and listen to all these young super creative talented people and now i'm depressed <laughs> <laughs> i love it that is, it doesn't throw the podcast off at all um there's no weird mix of emotions in the room at all now it's totally normal is this kind of fintech slash psychology yeah Can i we, feel like yeah, i feel like i need to get other things out right should now we talk too? should we pivot this a little more to brian therapy okay i'll shut up go ahead <laughs> I'll give my psychology background yeah i was gonna say like cognitive science like we can turn this so like are you feeling better today brian no, no, <laughs> just not really. No, it's, it's actually worse. Um, so <laughs> it's actually really fair. Sorry. We haven't, no, you're, it's fair. I mean, this is the, the fourth one of these that we've recorded today and 
that's an incredibly accurate point. I'm just sinking in the hole deeper and deeper with yeah, each one. So. I, every single one. I mean, <laughs> you were potentially a better violinist than I ever will be in my entire life at the age of three and a half or four. So that, that's a little depressing. We can have a separate therapy session after this. Kazoo. Maybe I played a kazoo at one point. I can see you nailing a kazoo. Eventually graduate to harmonica one day. I mean, you know, potentially. No? Too let's, complex. Yeah, let's keep it real. Okay. All right. We'll keep it to kazoos. Um, so from kazoos back to uh, <laughs> Pluto, pull apart for me. The whole, so education definitely is like this big thing that we talk a lot about. And like Fin Health Network is like pu- publishing stuff about education. And like it's, you know, it's a big focus, like financial health. And like, anyways, just like a friggin' just mess of buzzwords. But at the end of the day, the thing that I hear you, I think, talk about the most is habit change and about challenges and about like a lot of those kinds of things where it's like, here's a thing, accomplish it and accomplish it again, accomplish it again. Eventually it's a habit. So can you pull apart habit change versus education for me? Yeah. Education is really about awareness and understanding what's possible in certain ways to think about things. And I think education is broken in the sense of like that. A lot of it's artificial constructs, right? Especially around finances. It's just not a real, it's not a natural concept, right? It's not yeah. like, you know, in the evolution of mankind, it wasn't like from day one, you started talking about, you know, budgeting and all. I mean, you yeah. probably had some concepts of like, you know, scarcity and all those things, but there wasn't really like an organizational system that kind of developed over time by people, right? To find more efficient ways to achieve what they want to do, right? Yeah. But when you think about the natural human behavior, it's not natural for you to sit down and be like, okay, I'm going to set 20 budgets today and make sure that I don't spend more than 20 bucks in this, right? That's not natural at all. What is natural is um, what you want, right? And what you need and what you want, right? What you're thinking about. So for example, a college student, they're probably thinking about, uh, am I gonna have enough money to get through next week and be able to eat lunch, right? Um, Am I gonna be able to go to that study abroad program that I really want to go to? My friends, just spot tickets to Coachella, can I do that too, right? You're probably thinking about those things as opposed to sitting down staring at numbers and you know, trying to make sense of that, right? And then and then from there, it's like, okay, when you realize that maybe you can't get there or you don't know how you're gonna get there or whether you can, then you start, you'll start you start thinking about your existing behavior. You might be like, oh, you know what? Last week, I feel like I spent too much money last week, right? I just, I just ate at Chipotle five times. Like you, you are aware of these things deep inside um, but it's, you just don't usually translate that into like numbers and actions, right? You just kind of know that it's there, but it's like, yeah. what do you do about it? It's a cloud of guilt that exactly. stays over your exactly. head as you're so, yeah. stopping to get coffee on the way to class and whatever. Yeah, so yeah. there's not really a, much of a tangible connection in your mind, at least initially, between what you did in the past and what you want to achieve. Yeah. But those, those two parts exist, right? right? So the question, how do you tie those things, those two things together? And yes. when it comes to habit change... The first thing is motivation, right? Like you obviously need to know why you want to change this habit. What are you trying to achieve? But this is where most apps fail, right? Um, especially when you think about you know, health trackers, like you know diet apps, right? It's like, but yeah, of course everyone wanna lose weight and look great, right? But how effective is that thought alone? How are you gonna actually get it done? And so the way you do that is by number one, having motivation nailed down. So for us, it's you know, what, are you, what do you want and what do you need? What can you relate to, right? For college students, retirement doesn't make sense. Like that's so far off far down the road. That is not the way to engage someone with their finances at yeah. that age, right? Um, and then the next step is now, how do you how do you kind of make it 
make yourself more capable of doing that? How do you increase the ability to get that done? And you break that down into simple steps, right? You can't, you know, if you want to learn to surf, you don't start from day one just getting a surfboard and diving into water without learning the basics, right? Yeah. Um, you got to start small. And so with Pluto, we focus on your most recent behavior and the specific areas that you can actually um, cut your spending down in, right? So instead of setting up 20 different budgets, right? Why do you pick one area where you feel like you waste money or using data, like we use data to help contextualize that, help you figure that out and focus on that one area for just this week. Mm-hmm. And then and then that's tied, that action is tied to your goal. So for example, if I spent 20 bucks less on eating out this week, that's 20 bucks that I can use for something else, right? Whether it's study abroad, whether it's moving it to next week's uh, food expense, whatever yeah. it is, right? Yeah. That idea of trade-off is super powerful. And by breaking it down into small chunks and you keep repeating that over time and you can kind of increase the, uh, the difficulty of it as things go, you can start adding on more challenges on Pluto's platform, you know, focusing on more areas of spending and you'll get more complicated over time. But when you start out, it's important to start simple so that it's manageable and approachable and so you can actually make it more likely for you to win, right? And mm-hmm. these small wins add up and they make it feel good and over time you'll, you'll you know, be more likely to have a long-term behavior change. It reminds me so much of like the, like, you know, you, you get handed a scale and then you step on the scale and then you find out that you're 30 pounds overweight mm-hmm. and then, oh shit, right? It's like, that's, they handed you a scale and now you know how fat you are, but like, what's next? Like exactly. what, right? Like it's, it's like being knowledgeable of your weight versus like having the coach to actually guide you through the thing. Mm-hmm. seems like a very different thing. Yeah. So one thing that you mentioned, um, is Susie, the magnanimous woman that is Susie, one thing that I think is really interesting is one of your first co-founders is a CXO and everything that you're like talking about kind of leads me to like, and all that makes sense. So how did you make that decision? Why? And I guess all of it just drives towards differentiation, right? Like, and probably one of the questions you get a lot from investors at your stage is like, well, currents out there, green light exists, blah, 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 right? There's other groups out there, but the behavioral, the behavioral aspect of what you're talking about seems like that is the, the thing, the answer to that, is that kind of why you've leaned into it so much? What is what is that? Why Susie? Why the CXO thing? Go ahead. Do you think maybe he should say what the company does first? I don't think you ever did that at the beginning. This is why we have co-hosts. Adult supervision. <laughs> Adult supervision <laughs> in the purest form. It would be a good maybe just say yeah. a couple sentences at a high level about what it actually is. Yes. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah. So we are building the first mobile banking platform uh, to make it really easy for college students to take the first steps towards their financial goals and to be able to grow with them over time. And so as I alluded to when I was talking about uh, the behavioral approach, um, we break people's financial goals down into these simple steps that we call challenges, make it really easy for the challenges to be completed and to result in savings and try to make everything as actionable as possible. And we also have a social element, Pluto, where you can compare your finances to other similar peers like you anonymously, and that creates even more motivation and more contextual data for you to make the right decisions. Um, so in terms of your question um, about the CXO title, so actually her original title was Chief Creative Officer. So she used to oh. be CCO uh, because she's a very creative person. You know, Her background is in uh, creative strategy, marketing and design, and and you know we did want to approach solving finances in a very creative way and certainly you don't see chief creative officer in really any i don't think you see that in any not even like fintech companies really i don't think you see it in fine i mean i have yet to ever see one in a bank in a financial yeah. institution certainly not a bank but i don't even think even like a fintech company has that like chief creative 
officer. Yeah, that's usually more of a media title, or like yeah. you know, you usually think that. Um, but I think over time, um, we felt like experience made more sense because when you think about brand and product and all of that, it all comes down to experience, right? Like whether it's customer service, whether it's you know what you see on an app, whether it's how you communicate with your users outside your app, like it all comes down to experience, mm-hmm. and that's the center of what we do. You know, uh, traditionally, banks really don't care much about the experience, right? And so, especially this younger generation, you know, as you go digital, um, there is, it's so easy to just, you know, push features out and be like, oh, let's call it a day. It's so easy, right? Let's, you know, get them to get do a certain action, but people forget that every detail matters and details are so important to Pluto Money, just in our app, the way we interact with our customers and everything. And so we felt like that title made, made a lot of sense for us. Um, and from the, your question on the differentiation, mm-hmm. so really what it comes down to is the unique way that our unique behavior approach and how it's tailored to a specific life stage of this specific generation, right? <laughs> There's kind of different layers to it, right? It's the fact that we are catering our product to the needs of college students. You know, it, it comes down to, you know, the way we word things, the language that we use, um, the things that we emphasize in the app, right? Like we don't emphasize saving for retirement, for example. Like it all comes down to the details. And it also goes up to the brand, right? The way we brand ourselves for college students so that, you know, when you go on an app store, you're looking up for a finance app, is a college student going to pick a Mint, which is kind of a general for everyone kind of kind of app, or are they going to pick the one that says, hey, this is designed specifically for college students. Like we get college and the branding, you know, very uh, connected to them, right? And so it's a combination of all of those that really separates us in the space. I heard someone say the other day, Gen Zs are just younger millennials. Oh, and man, I think it couldn't be further from the that truth. Me. <laughs> Would you kind of give us some of the color around that of how they really are very, very different? Yeah, um, I don't like hearing that, <laughs> but that's the problem. That's the problem that exists right now. Yeah. I feel like Generation Z is currently, like, you know, there's been a whole number of years where it's like the, all the talk of millennials, and it still is, right? But before the talk became big on millennials, there was that, you know, that period of time where they were just starting to come out, right? And then whoever moved on them first became really, really successful, and then a bunch of companies had to catch up to them, mm-hmm. right? That's kind of what's happening with Generation Z right now. Um, first of all, they're largely shaped by the environment that they grew up in. Uh, Generation Z saw their parents. Should, so it's like 16 to 23-year-olds? Oh, sorry, no. Yeah, so let me clarify that. So they're actually 8 to 24, so they're a really large oh, generation. Okay. Yeah, so I didn't know that. Yeah, so they're actually, wow. there's more Generation Zs than there is millennials. They're the largest generational wow. cohort in the U.S., so they're huge, right? Um, obviously, there's different segments within that. Sure. Like you can't really compare an eight-year-old to a twenty-four-year-old. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. But what's in, what's interesting is that they're already in a workforce, right? There's already three, wow, four yeah. years worth of generation Z in the workforce, and it's only going to increase. And that's what makes them so important right now. It's not like oh, they're the future. I mean, they are the future, but they're also now. Like they're they're making such a big impact. They're all digital natives. But the, what I talked about with the environment, they saw their parents go through the Great Recession. You know, maybe if they had older siblings, they saw them, you know, have, have a lot of trouble finding jobs yeah. during that period when you graduated college in that period. Yeah. Um, the student debt crisis didn't right. start becoming a huge issue until like, you know, I don't know, like five, six, seven, eight years ago. I don't know the exact timing, but so they grew up hearing all these things about it, whether it's directly through people they know or their family experiencing it or on media. Right. And so naturally, they're already more uh, conservative and risk averse in terms of. 
um, how they think about finances. Um, that's actually why you see Generation Z prioritizing um, job stability and, and just like uh, finances a lot earlier than any other generations. Part of it might be parents trying to educate them earlier, right? Because the parents suffered and they don't want their children to experience the same thing. Um, and uh, also other thing could also just be just the amount of competition there is now with technology, right? People want to get ahead of each other. You hear all these things about successful people, you want to be like them. And so there's a lot of really interesting things about Generation Z. For example, they want to achieve financial independence at a much earlier age, I think it's by 30 than any other generation, which is like really ambitious. Right. Wow. I know. And that kind of ties to how entrepreneurial they are. Yeah. Right? They're also the most entrepreneurial generation, um, which is really fascinating. And it's really fascinating. Yeah. And, and and like and, you know, when you ask them what their financial goals are, like for college students, um, I forgot what the exact number right off the top of my head. I think about 80 percent claim saving money to be their top financial goal. Wow. Um, yeah, well, you're definitely sorry, not 85 percent, not 80 percent, 85 percent is the number. Um, and 60 per, but the problem is that 60 percent don't save at all. So there's still a huge disconnect between what they want and what they're motivated by uh, and actually doing it. Right. There are there are you know, numbers are improving just with the amount of apps and stuff there are out there and just parents, you know, telling their kids. But there's still a massive gap. It's still such an underserved market. Um, you can't treat them like millennials because when millennials were in college, they were not thinking about finances they were just kind of just spending credit just spending on their credit card yeah. and just going about their days and getting into debt and then realizing it when it's too late which is why all these apps are so successful you know you look at acorn digit like all of those little very millennial focused app because they're like oh we're gonna build this stupid simple app to make it really easy for people to save money invisibly and that's great for people that you know that are desperate to take their that first step because they're already in such a deep hole yeah. that anything is going to help them right just saving pennies is going to help them but this generation wants to get ahead and avoid making those mistakes right so that they know that doing those kind of apps isn't enough right like how much behavior yeah. are you going to change when you just round up your change every day like how much how much impact is that really going to make yeah and i so feel like i want to hire mentality. gen z like just as a generality. And also I was only halfway listening because I was so busy booking my trip on Orbitz for this weekend to somewhere random that I can't actually afford to go to on my credit card. So, you know, I only got, I only caught half of it, but. Did you round up to save for that? Goddamn right I did. Yeah, I think I got $10. I got $10 back from, uh, from Orbitz. No, I don't know. Um, but legitimately, that's, that's unbelievable. Brian, I've heard you talk before about like being excited as a banker about Gen, Gen Z. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? I was in a meeting this morning. We were talking about social media strategies and I love saying radical shit every now and then. I don't really mean, but uh, I think one thing that came out of my mouth this morning is the smart financial institution right now would probably skip the millennials and go right to Gen Z because they already have money and it's going to continue to grow. Millennials are great if you're in kind of the lending space. As Tim said, yeah, everybody owes money yeah. and they don't have big balances that they're putting in banks. And, yeah, not the uh, most I know deposit customers generalizing, but, generalizing right. yeah. But these Gen Z are, there's a big chunk of them. The oldest one, so my daughter is getting ready to turn 23. She's on the very She's right there. Edge. Yep. Yeah. And she has been a saver her whole entire life. And I saw a stat the other day that I can't remember what, what the exact percentage is, but there's a healthy chunk of Gen Zers. Again, remember 23 being kind of the old side of this mm -hmm. that are already saving for their first home. Mm -hmm. That 
is mind-boggling, especially yeah, when a uh, millennial hears that. Yeah, yeah no, I'm, yeah. I mean, you say homeownership and I just kind of run the other way or bury my head in the sand or, I don't know, just that whole concept They're is They're thinking about that of, yeah. I want to have a home, I want to have stable savings before the age 30. And they're doing things about it starting at like 18 years old, mm-hmm. which is truly mind-boggling. It's, it's awesome. Man, all of my jokes see. about millennials are just going to get so much worse. Actually, no, I think they're just too true now. I've been talking shit on my own generation for all this time and joking, and now I'm starting to feel like it's a little too close to home. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely they're definitely a different story than millennials. We yeah, could probably have a whole podcast and just pro- make fun probably. of millennials. Can't we? I don't, I don't well, know. yeah, I think there already are podcasts with yeah, literally so. entire podcasts making fun of millennials. Yeah, and I think like I think the biggest problem is that people make an assumption when they think Generation Z, they're like, oh, they're they're so young, they don't realize that they're already in the workforce. Yeah, and they also assume that they're broke and they don't have money. But all stats point to how much more money they have than any other previous generation had at their age. Um, just when you think about the economy and how many different ways you can earn money in today's world, how much earlier people are starting to earn money, it's pretty crazy just the numbers of the proportion of Generation Z that's already earning their own money. Uh, it's about the same rate as millennials are actually wow. um, at the current age. I know. That's um, a, the gig economy like yeah, conversation. It's, it's a flywheel. It's kind and, of And like social media too. Yeah. You see all these people on like, we've been talking about TikTok, right? I yeah. mean, all these influencers <laughs> using social media to build, like I, I'm seeing high school students, like seniors or juniors with crazy amount of followers already getting sponsorships. And I'm just like, it's wild. Like that, I mean, when I was in college, I mean, all that didn't exist. I mean, I'm kind of borderline millennial and Gen Z, so it is still a pretty sharp. I can tell. Yeah, I can connect to both. I connect to both sides, right? Yeah, I feel connected to you, but also sometimes I'm like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Yeah, but uh, there is a pretty big difference just in terms of the environment that they grew up in. And I mean, even things like people are now, it's now normal to get in Silicon Valley, at least to get a tech internship when you're in high school. Wild. That didn't, that was not a thing when I was in, high school man right how i do want to caveat my millennial because i i am i am a huge millennial fan and i have been for a long long time and i know you've heard me talk about that you don't secretly hate me brian we're we're cool they've helped change workplaces they've you know being in a bad way a lot of times forces you to come up with solutions i don't think this entire fintech thing would be happening nearly like it is without the millennial generation either so i I think the gen zers have to pay a little homage to the millennials for paving the way a little bit too so satoshi is definitely a millennial I don't, I don't look down on millennials at all you know i think everybody just had their unique you know unique things going on that was pretty pc <laughs> <laughs> i did i don't my judge clippers fans yeah. at all is what i just heard out of your mouth like i'm no, trying to make it's... friends here not enemies. <laughs> but see that's experience i did it and it sounded probably really good and you did it and it sounded pretty pc so yeah. you just you learn how to bullshit better <laughs> when you, you get older so how how important, Tim, do you think it is that, you, well, so you kind of are a cusper, I guess, a little bit, but um, how important do you think it is that you and Susie and, and Dante, especially, I mean, being younger than you and Susie, uh, your CTO for context, um, how important is it that you have that, that you are that age, that you are kind of, you know, able to, like, I guess the, the, this question comes from me sitting here thinking about trying to build a, a company for Gen Z myself uh-huh. and just over the last five minutes debunking just about everything I had thought <laughs> about the generation. It seems like I would build a really shitty company for Gen Z. Um, so how important do you think that is? I think it's very important. I mean, if you imagine a, a 
50, 60 year old ex bankers sitting down and trying to brainstorm ideas for generation. Maybe they have kids in Gen Z. I mean, you know, that's don't possible, don't take right? it personally, I mean, Brian. I just, everything <laughs> that he's saying, don't take it personally. Here I go back oh. in my hole. I, <laughs> I had just climbed out. <laughs> wow, no, no, we were but, doing so good. No, no, he was smiling no, it again. Could be, it could very well be that you know you have kids, that grandkids or children that are Gen Z, which you know is the case. You know, it meant in, in a lot of that is the case for a lot of people yeah. too. But I think there's just a difference in, you know, doing secondary research and like seeing through the lens of other people versus experiencing it yourself. Um, it's really hard to describe, but it comes across in your brand and your authenticity, right? Of how authentic you are like that. People, this generation, especially Generation Z, they're really good at smelling BS from miles away. Yeah. Like they, they hate advertisements. Like if they're clearly an advertisement, right? Um, for example, Snapchat is a heavily Gen Z. That's what I was Gen thinking. Z. It's a yeah. really Gen Z platform, right? It's different from Instagram in that, yes, you hear all about Instagram, but Snapchat still has the bulk of the Gen Z's users on there. And Snapchat, ad, even like Snapchat ads work very different from Instagram ads, right? Snapchat ads work, are a lot shorter. They're only, I think the recommended length is like four to seven seconds or something like that. Yeah. And the best performing ones are the ones where it's literally someone doing a selfie video and like vlogging or recording themselves or, you know, it's like authentic video. Whereas Instagram, it's all about, oh, pretty visuals, these screenshots yeah. and like all these stuff, right? So from that, you can already tell how big of a, a um, uh, how important that is. Yeah. And so having, you know, a, a team of, young people that can connect with that generation enables us to understand the trends, yeah. the way they speak, the language they use, um, how they think about money, you know, what are different factors in their lives are that are impacting their decisions, like everything combined, like we have to spend less effort trying to understand those. Whereas um, if you're not in that generation or connect to that generation, you have to, it takes a lot more time and effort and money to understand that. And even if you do understand that executing it's also going to be harder because yeah. you might not come across as authentic. And so I think it's a really um, underrated aspect of, of building a brand. And it's fascinating when it comes down to the economics growth-wise, right? Because, I mean, the the standard – I mean, just look at Dave, right? Think about a company that has spent a lot of money on Snapchat. Mm -hmm. They just raised a ton, right? And yeah. if you're building from a very kind of – if you're building from a place where you kind of are your user and you realize that your user maybe actually doesn't love advertising – that opens your mind to a whole different way of thinking about distribution, about thinking about referrals, everything else, right? That's really, like really interesting in the unit economics, like CAC to LV, LTV side of it, right? Mm -hmm. Fascinating. Um, I want to be conscious of time here. So let's just kind of talk quickly about the stage that Pluto's at, um, kind of like 90 day, you know, what is what is kind of the, the things impending that you're trying to kind of focus on? Um, and then what do the next few years look like and what are you kind of trying to get accomplished? Yeah. We built an awesome iOS app. It's available on the App Store, not on Android just yet. My apologies, sincere apologies to any Android users out there, but we're working hard on it. Uh, but basically, we started by building a financial wellness platform. Um, we didn't start out thinking about banking, right? It was really just about how do you uh, change people's behaviors with their finances and you know, be connected to Plaid with automatic financial tracking and using behavioral science and design to do it in a certain way that help guide people toward action. But we came to realize that in order to really drive behavior change and create tangible impact, 
you do have to get into banking. Uh, it doesn't really make sense for those experiences to be separate, right? Yeah. The way you spend and bank, spend money and bank, separate from the way you manage your money. That just makes no sense to us. Yeah. And so we came to a realization about that sometime um, last year. And so today, like we already have tens of thousands of users on our platform from over 1,500 colleges across the US. But the next phase of Pluto is to enable our users to start depositing uh, funds that they save uh, into Pluto based on the behavioral system that we've developed. Um, that's actually been the number one requested feature uh, from our users. Uh, we're calling it the Pluto Safe, and you know we're working with MBKC on that. So really exciting, and so that's the next phase. And there's a lot of really exciting features we have on our roadmap just to further serve our specific demographic. For example, we're launching uh, in-app tip hacks and deals uh, that are really tailored to these students and their life stage that help them take real action on our finances so instead of telling them hey like spend less on this or do this it's yeah like, okay here's stop how going to starbucks do it. Yeah. Right? it's like here's how like a realistic thing you can actually do that's relevant to you to do it um and our big the big picture of pluto is that we are building a full suite of financial services for generation z and our strategy is to focus on college students as a starting point I know there are some companies like Greenlight, for example, that are focused on teenagers who are also Generation Z and, and their parents, but we see those life stages as extremely different. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're a teenager, you don't have that independence. You have much less I mean, assets. Inherently, right? there yeah, is a parent very, app, very right? Exactly. Like, there's no parent app for Pluto. So exactly. It's so it's yeah. just very different. Like, everything about Gen Z is just trending towards independence, right? Yeah. You know, they don't want to rely on their parents and all of that. And so how do we build the next generation suite of financial services that really cater to them? And so it's a big, it could be a vision, but we're purposely taking it step by step. We don't want to, you know, from day one launch everything, yeah. right? But we purposely want to build trust with them by focusing on their financial health, you know, by by having financial health at our initial focus and main focus. When we add banking onto Pluto, the way they bank will always be aligned with their financial health and goals, and that's the way that we think banking should be. It shouldn't be the other way around. Uh, financial health shouldn't be an afterthought. Yeah. And we feel like a lot of even challenger banks and other, you know, platforms out there. A lot of them are still really thinking about banking itself and not really solving core problems. They're just kind of shoving in different features here and there. Oh yeah, we're throwing budgeting here. You know, get paid earlier here. You know, yep. a bunch of different yep. things. But we want to genuinely solve real problems that they have, and then banking is a supplement to make this experience even more powerful. I love it, man. I mean, well, sitting here as you know, the the reason we're here is obviously the accelerator and all that. So. Yeah. I don't think Brian or I are upset uh, as an, you know, investor, quasi-investors, I guess, on behalf of the bank as a, uh, you know, a big vision is not something we're mad about. So I appreciate, like, the the change in the in the status quo and the change in the world that would manifest if, if this, if and when this does happen, right? Yeah. Um, so the final question is, unless there's anything from the adult supervision slash peanut gallery, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, is, so, you know, with, I just need a box of Kleenex. Just a bo box. Of, <laughs> do you need chocolates? Still, yeah. Chocolates, maybe a bottle of wine. Yeah. All right. You, listeners, you hear that. If you want to send some sort of novelty chocolates to Brian's office, I look forward to, I'm you know, just watching him cry again when he gets them. Uh, <laughs> So our listener base is mostly like VCs, fintech nerds, um, occasional bankers. What uh, what are you kind of dealing with today? Ba basically, the question is just like, how can the listeners kind of help you? What are the introductions you can benefit from? Things like that. Kind of what are the what are the pieces there, and what is the best way to get a hold of you? Yeah. Um, so the best way to get a hold of me, uh, Tim at PlutoMoney.app. So that's T-I-M at PlutoMoney.app. You can also find me on LinkedIn and reach out to me uh, through InMail or tweet me at TimZU. So that's T-I-M-Z-Y-U. Um, I think 
there is a lot of uh, education to be had around Generation Z, and I'm always happy to have discussions around this new generation and the trends that are emerging and how we fit into that picture. And we certainly would love to you know, get investors involved, more investors involved in that effort. Um, and I think we also want to have a better understanding of how we can work together with higher education institutions, uh, the higher ed ecosystem to integrate Pluto uh, deeper in there because we want to get Pluto into the hands of every college student in America. Um, and I think you know by, by going through where students already are, that's a really compelling strategy. And so we want to learn more about how we can add value to universities you know, while also adding value to students. And finally, also just on a brand side, there is a lot of uh, a lot of brands want to figure out how to reach Generation Z, and we have a pretty powerful platform where we understand Gen Z's financial goals and you know what behaviors they're trying to fix and everything, right? Really powerful data here. And so we want to learn how we can learn more about how we can work together with brands that are all about supporting Generation Z and uh, helping them get ahead financially and just helping improve their lifestyle and help them achieve their potential. So. Yeah. Awesome, man. I really hope the, the head of partnerships at TikTok is listening or something. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> We're thinking about creating a TikTok account. So Beautiful. <laughs> um, all right, Tim. Thanks for being here, man. appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks so much for the opportunity. And thank you, Brian. You're very welcome. Thanks for listening to another episode of For Fintech's Sake. If you want to learn more about Pluto Money or the cohort of Found City Fintech, we'd love to have you at Demo Day on October 15th. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on what seat you're sitting in, we are officially sold out. So hop on on there and grab a spot on the wait list, and we'll be sending out some emails trying to get folks that may not show to hop off there, and we can hopefully get you a spot. If you're not in KC and you want to chat, get to know the cohort, get to know myself, get to know Brian, or just talk about anything that we've been discussing today, Reach out to me personally at zach.pettit and mbkc.com via email or at Zach Pettit on Twitter. Otherwise, if you're heading to Money 2020 in Vegas later this month, we'd love to have a conversation there. Tim, myself, the MBKC bank team, uh, and the whole Fountain City Fintech cohort will all be down there. We'd love to spend some time together. Please reach out. Until then, don't fintech too hard this weekend, you crazy kids. <laughs>